So this morning, I know it's been uh, kind of a crazy week. I don't know if you guys are feeling the, the craziness of, um, of the state of the union, uh, the state of the world. Um, but um, I, I, I thought I'd be remiss not to just share a couple thoughts that I had um, that I've really had over the past week, but especially over the last couple days, as uh, the elders and I have been talking about whether we should cancel services. You know, lots of churches uh, have done that, and, and I think, you know, in their circumstances, uh, it might have been wise to do that. We decided it, it would be um, best not to cancel, at least for this week, and we'll kind of take it as a, on a week-by-week basis. But, um, but more than any of those kind of decisions, um, I, there, there's a couple of things that I've been, been praying for us in particular, and... Um, and the one I've been praying most actually uh, comes out of this idea in 1 Thessalonians 13. Um, when uh, Paul is encouraging the Thessalonians, he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Asleep is just a, a, a euphemism for those who have died, right? Um, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope, right? We... we um, we have this great privilege as, as people of faith to be able to, to grieve, to, to, you know, I was a funeral, funeral director for years and saw a lot of, of funerals where there was no hope, right? Um, and uh, and we, um, we are those who, who don't have to do that, right? We know that the moment we leave this life, we pass into to a better day, right? Like uh, for those who have, who have left us today is better than any day they ever lived for them, right? Uh, and so we can, we can grieve as those um, who have hope. And, um, and, and I know this is an extrapolation. He's not really talking about this here. But my prayer has been that we would face these challenges that our world is facing as those who have hope, right? As those who, who know that, um, that this life is not the only life. I think a lot of the panic that we see around us is because people are coming to terms with the fact that this is the only life they have. And they're afraid of losing this life, right? Which some of those fears, I think, are probably a little blown out of proportion, I think, right? Uh, based on the, the statistics we have about what's going on with that. But... Um, but Christians have always been historically, it's, it's, it's amazing to look back through history and see that Christians are those that are running into the plague, right? They're running into the, the hurricane. They're running into the difficulties of life um, because we're those who have hope, right? We are those who are, who are uniquely equipped to go meet needs in a time like this when other people are, are like, I can't. I can't meet your need because I have to protect myself, right? We are those who can go and meet needs. And so um, I just pray that we're those who, uh, I don't even know how this would change our daily behavior compared to others, but it does change our daily behavior and that we would be those who, who don't shrink back from fear, but, but step out because we have a hope. Um, and... Uh, and <clears throat> And I also wanted to add this because I, I recognize that, that this, you know, standing on, the, on our hope is, is not as easy as just saying that, right? Especially when we see a lot of, a lot of things that could make us want to panic, right? Um, there's a solution for us there too if we're feeling some anxiousness over what's going on here, which is, um, 
Paul saying to the Philippians, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We shouldn't, we shouldn't face this situation and face our own fear of this situation and go, I'm going to buck up and do better. I, I can handle this, right? That's not what we're called to. We're called to, if we have that sense of fear, to lay that at his feet, to trust him with it. And, and he's, his promise is that the peace of God, which surpasses, surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Um, that we just need to be going to him with any sort of fears that we have regarding this. Um, so I thought I'd be remiss not to start with that this morning. Let me pray for us and we'll get into our passage. Lord, um, we do uh, trust you. We trust you um, because we know you're trustworthy. This is, uh, th- the things that are going on in our world are not a surprise to you. In, in fact, you uh, had prepared for, for this time, this day, uh, before the foundation of the world, and, and, um, and we can trust you. Um, but again, that's easier said than done. Um, when, when we have a, a real sense of fear, a sense of anxiousness, um, that, um, that it's, it's hard to, to shake that um, I pray that we would just continue to, to, to bring this to your feet, uh, bring our, our, our fears and concerns to your feet so that we can stand out in this world, um, not, um, not trying to be different, but just living as the different people that you've made us, that we are those who have hope. We know what, to, what, uh, what life beyond this life holds, uh, and, uh, and, and it's even better with, than what this life holds. Holds. And so um, help us to be those who, who don't shrink back in fear, those who are, um, are, are diving into the fray uh, and meeting any needs that, that come as this, as this crisis continues. Um, and even if it's not a, the, the health part of this crisis, I think the, biggest, the bigger concern is the panic part of this crisis, that we would be um, those who can, who can rush into those situations and, and, uh, and just love love on people, love on our community. Um, and, and only you can equip us to do that, Lord. So I pray that you would do that um, in our hearts and our minds this morning. I pray this all in your name. Amen. So we're, we're continuing on uh, this morning in Matthew. Um, we're actually uh, going to be doing a, a little bit of hopping around. Um, this is not where we left off. Matthew 20 was not where we left off last week. Uh, and I'll tell you why we're hopping around. I, I was sort of hoping, really beyond hope, when I was planning this out last summer, um, that, I, that I thought we would, as we went through Matthew, that we would get to the end of Matthew and Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection right about the time of, of where that happens kind of in the calendar year around Easter, right? And, uh, and even back in the summer, I was like, there's no way we're going to get there. Um, but I kind of was hoping, and, um, and there's no way we're going to get there. So, um, but I want to get there, because uh, I think it's, it's a neat thing that we can, we can have seasons of the year where we consistently reflect on certain things, right? We have Christmas season, we have Easter season, um, and so um, I want to make sure we get there. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of skip some of um, Jesus's teaching sections, um, and... Um, as we kind of approach his death, burial, and resurrection. Um, so we're going to hop around just a little bit, and then after Easter, we'll come back to some of Jesus' teaching. Um, so it, it seems a little counterintuitive, but, 
but that's kind of how we're going to tackle it. So, so we fast-forwarded a little bit ahead to Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 17 uh, this morning. And this is what uh, Matthew tells us. It says, as Jesus was, going, uh, was, was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves, and on the way he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. So this is the last time Jesus and the disciples are they're headed to Jerusalem. They're, Jesus is headed toward his, his death and his burial and his resurrection. That's what's happening here. And as they're headed toward Jerusalem, he takes the 12 disciples aside again. We saw last week that he repeatedly was trying to prepare the disciples for the fact that he was going to die. And um, uh, I, I think I've got slides here about that. Um, yeah, back in Matthew 16, where we were last week, it says, from this time Jesus began to show his disciples that he, he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Then later in 17, he says, but I say to you that Elijah already came and they did not recognize him, but, di but did to him whatever they wished. So also the son of man is going to suffer at their hands. And then in uh, the end of chapter 17, he says, and while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. So this became a regular source of, of conversation, of information that Jesus was giving to his disciples. And this is one more of those times that he's doing this as they're approaching Jerusalem. And it, what's very um, interesting about this, I find it to be interesting, is that Jesus gets a little more specific here. This is the first time we have recorded where he actually indicates that he's going to die by crucifixion. And actually, he's very, very specific here um, about, about what's going to happen. Um, he says, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests, which is exactly what happens. We'll see this in Matthew 26. He says, now he who is betraying him, which is Judas, gave them a sign saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately, Judas went to Jesus and said, hail rabbi, and kissed him. This word delivered here means to deliver over. It, it actually is a word used of betrayal, um, when someone betrays another, which is exactly what occurs. And, and not only did he say that he'd be delivered, but he'd be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. He could have been delivered to anyone. It actually might have made more sense for him to be delivered over to the Roman officials. But he was delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and that's exactly what happened. This is in Matthew 26 also. He says, while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the 12, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and the elders of the people. We also have this later in 26. He says, those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathered together. He was delivered to the chief priests and the scribes. Keep in mind, this is well before these events actually occur, that Jesus was, was saying this was going to happen. And he says, and they will condemn them, him to death. And that's exactly what happened in Matthew Chapter 26, it says, and then the high priest tore his robes and says, he has blasphemed. 
which the penalty for blasphemy was death. What further need do we have of any witnesses? Behold, you have now heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They answered, he deserves death. So this occurs, this condemning him to death. He's predicting this here. And we'll hand them over to the Gentiles. That also happened in Matthew chapter 27. It says, now when the morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people conferred together against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate the governor. They handed him over to the Gentile authorities. He says, and they will mock him, which they did. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him. Says they will scourge him. They did scourge him. Then he, Pilate, released Barabbas for them. And having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. And crucify him. And he was crucified. Matthew 27. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. Now I know we know these facts, right? We understand these facts that he that he was, when we read this, we're like, of course he was handed over to the chief priest. Of course he was condemned to death. Of course they handed him over to the Gentiles. Of course they mocked him and they scourged him and they crucified him. And of course, he was raised up on the third day. We know this in Matthew 28. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here for he has risen, just as he said. We know this. But keep in mind, we, we sometimes gloss over this because we know this occurred, but Jesus was speaking extremely specifically about what was going to occur to him well before these things occurred to him. This says something about who he is, about his, about his deity, and about the, the information that he was given about his death prior to going there. And we don't know exactly how Jesus had this, this information. Um, we, we do have in a, in a parallel account of, of the um, transfiguration that he was talking to Moses and Elijah about the things that were, that were going to come. So, so maybe that's where he had this information. But the important thing is that he had this information and he was very, very specific. If I told you that... Sometime in the next few months that uh, the Tehama County Sheriff, Dave Hencraft, I had to look this up, um, came to my office, was going to come to my office, he was going to arrest me, he was going to um, uh, arrest me for some unfounded report of my jaywalking across Main Street, um, and, and that the, the next day um, those charges would be filed, um, and that, that same night in the jail I'd be eating meatloaf. And, um, and that the next day they would, they would find out that it was a false report and I would be released in the early afternoon and I would, um, be, I would come out of the jail and the, the mayor of Red Bluff, Danielle Eyestone, I also had to look that up, uh, met me outside for a news conference to apologize to me and gave me the key to the city because they felt so badly. Um, 
you would think, if I told you that today, and then this occurs, you would go, wait, Nate's not normal, like, right? Like, 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 for one, what's he doing jaywalking? And for two, like, um, what, how would he know so many specifics about something that's coming up, right? Something that's going to occur. Jesus was no ordinary man that he knew this stuff and that he was sharing this stuff with his disciples. It reveals something about him. So the point on your handout, if you guys want to fill it in, is Jesus made specific, verifiable, verifiable predictions concerning his death, which came true. By the way, if you're on the Facebook stream, you can go um, to the, me- the messages part of the website and click on handouts, and you can, you can actually print off a handout for yourself if you'd like. should have said that earlier. Then he goes on. Keep in mind, he had just uh, gone through with them a lot of specifics over what was going to happen to him concerning his death. That's the context of this next statement. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he, he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and one on your left. So this is the mom of, of James and John. She's, she's coming up to Jesus um, and, and, and making a request of him. Uh, we know that, that um, James and John's mom, uh, th- that she was a part of the larger group of disciples, that she traveled around with Jesus. We know this. Um, so, this so it wasn't like she was coming out of the blue here. She was a part of the group. But she steps up and she says, hey, can, can my two boys be at your right and your left in the coming kingdom? Now, part of the reason why she asked this, this request is that, um, is that they already knew, uh, we have this in, in, in chapter 19. Oh, did I, I don't have it. Oh, don't look at that. Don't look at that. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't have it. But in chapter 19, verse 28, um, It says this, and Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of of Israel. So they knew that they would be sitting on thrones with him, right? So now she's coming with that thought in mind, going, hey, like, who's going to be on your right and your left? Like, those are the prime spots I want my boys to have your right, the thrones on your right and your left, right? Um, you know, a typical mom thing to do, right? You want the best for your kids. And so she's just trying to, you know, trying to see if, see if she can work that out uh, for them. And of course, she knows if Jesus makes this, this decree, if he says this, then it will happen. So Jesus, just say that this will happen. But Jesus answered, and he said, you do not know what you are asking. You do not understand what you're, what you're saying here, what you're asking of me. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, my cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give. But it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. 
And hearing this, the 10 became indignant with the two brothers. I probably would too. They were like, come on, man, don't have your mom ask that. Um, but, it, but Jesus' response is, you don't really understand because to do what, what, what you're asking is going to require that, that your boys share in this this cup that I'm about to drink. Now, he's not talking about some, you know, soda that he's popping open and, and taking, there wasn't soda back then. But anyway, he's not talking about some sort of a drink that they were, that he was going to actually drink and that they would have to drink and it wasn't a good drink. No, 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 this, this is a, um, a euphemism, a, a, a statement that they would have understood to mean suffering. To, to, drink, to drink a cup, it's, it's a cup of suffering. He's saying, you don't understand are, are you able to suffer in the way that I'm about to suffer? Are you willing to take that on? And the boys, you know, to their credit, they say, yeah. In fact, we'll take on any suffering that you take on, Lord. Now, in reality, these two guys end up deserting Jesus. In fact, all the disciples end up deserting, deserting Jesus in the moment that he's drinking from this cup. But eventually... These two guys do share in the, in the, in the persecution of, of being a follower of Jesus. So that's why he says, my cup you shall drink. You shall encounter difficulty. But this whole right and left thing, my father's got that figured out. It's not mine to give, and so I'm not going to give it to you. But then he says this. This is the setup to, to really the point that Matthew wants to bring home to us, that Jesus wants to bring home to his disciples. He says, but Jesus called them to himself and he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. So he, he starts with, with the picture of how the world works. And we know this to be true. Like, we know this is how our world works too. That those who are, are in authority, those who, have, who, who are the greatest in our society are those who, who rule others. They're the ones that have the most power in our world. And actually, those who want to become greater in our society, they usually want to become greater because they want to have more power. They want to be able to, 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 to determine their own, their own fate and, and, and also govern over the, the affairs of other people. We see this regularly with, with those who seek political power, right? Uh, now, some you know, rare people over time have, have sought political power to serve the, the people, um, but most of the time, it's out of a desire to, to, to find greatness, and to be able to exercise authority over, over others. And definitely in this time, they would have gone 100%, 100% of those who, who are kings and, and rulers and governors and, and prefects. They, those guys, they, are, they want power for domination. In fact, in the, in the Roman world, power was their great word. Everyone wanted power and more power because then you could rule over others, dominate others. And to be honest, this, this really occurs within our society as a whole. It, it, occurs, it occurs in, in workplaces. It occurs, it, it occurs in, like, like think about, 
Those who sometimes, sometimes you get promoted to a certain job and sometimes those promotions don't come with pay increases. Like you could just say, oh, I'm, I'm doing that because I'll make a little more money for my family. But sometimes they don't even come with pay increases, but people, people snatch those jobs up. Why? They just want a little more power. They want a little more respect. They want a, they want a little more control. This is a part of the human heart. Hierarchies exist all over the place. And he says, that's just the way it works in our, in, in our society. And, and these guys were thinking along those same lines, right? These, these boys and their mom were thinking along the same lines. Yeah, we're all going to have this great power to reign with you on these thrones, but maybe we can have just a little more power, right? A little more of a, of a status. He says, that's the way that the world works. But look at 26, he says, it is not this way among you. He's, he's instantly drawing a line between the earthly kingdoms of this world and how they've always existed throughout all time and this new heavenly kingdom, kingdom that he's instituting to them, with them. He says they are not the same, and this kind of authority structure, it is not the same between those two at all. He says, whoever wishes to become great among you. By the way, he is not um, talking down greatness. In fact, I think he's actually encouraging greatness here. He wants us to seek greatness in the kingdom, but not in the way that the world seeks greatness in the king, earthly kingdoms. Greatness in the heavenly kingdom is different. He says, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Literally, your slave. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I love this principle. It, 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 is, it, is, it is so countercultural. It is so against the way we would normally think things work, Right? Because we think, I want, I want higher positions. I want positions of respect and authority so that really in my heart, I would never say this, but, but then I have more power, right? I have more control. I, people, people will have to follow me and listen to me if I just have this certain position in society. And he says, that's not at all the greatness of the kingdom. The greatness of the kingdom is completely flipped from that. If you want to be great, you actually become a lowly slave. The first word, the first Greek word here for, for servant is actually, it's, it's a word that, um, that means like messenger or emissary, like a go-between. Like you have this important person and this important person, and you're not either of those. You're the one who's kind of the gopher for them. Running back and forth, oh, what can I do for you, sir? And oh, what can I do for you? Like, that's the picture that he's painting here. You're not the important one. You're the, you're the gopher. I remember when I was um, in eighth grade, I, uh, there was, we had our spring formal was coming up. And I really liked this girl. Her name was Melanie. I hadn't met Melissa yet, or she wouldn't have even been a thought in my mind, Melanie. But, but I, I thought this girl, Melanie, was pretty, pretty cool. But, but she was so cool that, of course, as an eighth grade boy, I couldn't talk to her, right? She was just too 
amazing. Um, and, but I could talk to her friend. And so I, um, I asked her friend, hey, do you think Melanie might want to go to the, the spring formal with me? And she's like, I don't know. I'll talk to her. And she went and talked to Melanie. And then, then a little while, it was a couple days later, she comes back. She's like, I, I think she's interested. Yeah, do you want to go? And I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, so then we were going, but I still couldn't talk to her, right? Because I was nervous. So, so then it was like, I'm talking to her friend about like, where we were going to go to dinner, what time, um, what color dress she was wearing so that I could get the right you know, flowers and stuff. And I did not talk to Melanie once before the spring formal. And I barely talked to her at the spring formal either. I was so nervous, right? So her friend was this go-between, right, between us. That's, that's, like, that's, that's the picture here. Um, it's a picture in, in this culture of a, of a table attendant, those who, who, were, who were to serve the, the master uh, at, at his table. Uh, it, it, it immediately, as I was studying this, made me think of, um, of Downton Abbey. Any Downton Abbey fans? Anybody? Yeah, yeah it's a pretty good show. Um, but it really focuses on, it focuses on both the, those who are you know, the lords and ladies of the manor, right? But also focuses on the servants. It spends the most time focusing on the servants. And, and it's, it's these guys that are called footmen, right? Their whole job is to, is to basically be invisible at, at dinners, right? That, that somehow the food just appears in front of me and, and because no one ever, these guys never talk. All they do is serve and serve and serve. And in fact, there's a, a they had a th- theatrical release of a new Downton Abbey movie. Uh, anybody seen that one? It's, it's also very, very good. And I think the best scene from that, I was trying to actually find the video of it, and I couldn't find the video, um, was one of these footmen, uh, they have the king and queen actually visiting for a dinner, and so it's this big, big deal. And one of these footmen actually speaks up and says, we're so honored to be able to serve you tonight. You were not supposed to say that ever, and definitely not in front of the king and queen, and it becomes this whole funny scene of this guy being awkward, but, um, but it, it's, it's actually that guy on the, on the right who does it in the movie. Anyway, um, it's, uh, these guys don't talk, because when you're in the room, you're not the important one, right? The people sitting at the table, they're the important ones. You serve. That's the picture he's trying to draw here. And whoever wishes to be first among you, to be the priority among you, the most important one among you, must actually be your slave. And I think we understand slave. One whose, whose liberty and whose freedom is, is, is restricted by, by their master. They're only allowed to do what their master allows them to do. They serve at the will of their master. Now, this is a little different, right, because, because most slavery that, that we've known, that we understand, is kind of a forced slavery, right? There's a, there's a fear of, of, of punishment if you don't do what the master tells you to do. This is, this is a little different because this is a willing slavery. This is one who, who, who willingly submits to the master, goes back under the control of the master. There's actually some sad stories, um, I, I think they're sad, um, of of those after um, the Civil War, when the slaves were freed, they were truly freed at this point, um, that there were many, 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 many slaves 
who returned to their masters because they didn't know any different. That's, they didn't know any other life. They didn't understand how to function outside of, of the plantation and outside of this slave master role. Um, and, and, and while that's a sad picture, that's really what this is. It's kind of this willingness, this willing return to the master. That, I, that, that they serve the needs of the master. I don't know about you, but both of these pictures don't make me go, yeah, <laughs> right? Servant, slave, being ruled by other people. But, but, but in God's kingdom, this kingdom that you and I are a part of, this is, should be the pursuit of our lives. It's not greatness, it's not respect, it's not some sort of position within the church, some, some role that gets us some sort, of, some sort of feigned respect from each other. No, our, our goal, our, our, our every moment should be thinking about how to, to put ourselves in a lowly position with one another, how to outserve one another, how to out-enslave ourselves to one another. And our, our example for that, I mean, he goes instantly to go, just, just look at the example. The example is me. And think about this. The son of man, Jesus Christ himself, the, 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 the very son of the God of the universe, he is the God of the universe, right? He did not come to be served. If there is any person, any being that has ever existed in this creation and beyond creation that deserved to be served every moment of their lives by every one of their subjects. It is the God of the universe. It is the son of, of God. Jesus should have every moment of his life been waited on hand and foot. Can we agree? And he came with the mission of not being served one bit, but for every moment of his life to be about being a servant and being a slave. Look to him. Look to his example. I think it's really, really easy for us, especially because we live in a culture of hierarchies and all that stuff, it's really, really easy to, to think that, that greatness in here Greatness among us as believers comes from some, some sort of raising our status among each other. And that is the exact opposite. We should be tripping over ourselves to serve each other, as he did. Pointing your hand out if you want to fill it in is, um, greatness in the kingdom of heaven comes by serving at the bottom, not climbing to the top. Greatness in the kingdom of heaven comes by serving at the bottom, not climbing to the top. I was just talking to someone this morning. I've had this conversation a couple times this week um, and thinking about some of the things that are going on in our world. I, I, I just, I love to look back at the history of, of believers that have lived before us in previous times and previous centuries and even in our own time it is consistent when you look throughout history that Christians are always the one 
who, who, ones who run into the difficulty. They run into the plague. They run into the, 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 the hurricanes. They run into all that stuff because, because Christians live by this, right? They don't just talk the talk. They go, I'm going to serve the world. And if that means I have to go pick up a young baby girl that they've left out on, on the, the shoreline to be exposed and die because girls have no worth, and I'm going to raise that girl as my own, I'm going to do that, which the early church in the first century was doing that all the time. If it means that, that I myself am going to go into plague-ridden areas and probably get, get the plague myself and die because it was way more fatal than anything we've seen in our time, I'm going to do that because I live as one who has hope, right? And I'm going to go serve I'm going to be, go be a slave from, for the world. This is, this, it's, it's a high calling, but, it, but it's ours. It's ours. And so as I was thinking about this, this is, this is dumb. I'm just going to say this is dumb what I'm about to show you. But I, I thought about this. I thought if greatness in the kingdom of heaven is serving at the bottom, right, then, um, then how can we make GCF great again? Magaga, it's not as, not as good as Maga. Uh, uh, that we need to be thinking of ways, that was my dumb way of thinking, we need to be thinking of ways of how to increase our greatness and not by people respecting GCF, right? But by people going, those people just lay down and serve like nobody's business. All right, let's move on. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, Jesus. And two blind men sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Understand um, this picture, okay? Large crowd following Jesus. Jesus is walking. You have a couple of uh, blind men sitting on the side of the road, and they're crying out, have mercy on us, son of David, Messiah, right? They recognize that he is the Messiah, this unique, one-of-a-kind, in all of human history, person. And they're crying out, hey, 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 you, this really, really important Messiah person, can you help us out a little bit? Now, that seems pretty bold. But I'm sure they had heard that Jesus' his reputation had preceded him, right? They knew who he was. They knew that he was healing people left and right, that he was casting out demons left and right, right? That he was, he was helping those who had been paralyzed since birth to walk. Like they knew his, his track record. And so they're crying out, son of David, Messiah, save us, have mercy on us, please. And the crowd, I think some ways rightly, it seems logical here, they, they, the crowd sternly told them to be quiet, like, shh, do you know who this is? Shush, okay? You worthless people in our society, and they were worthless in that society. And they, they, they were not only worthless because they, they, they served no function in society, which, which is, is a really sad thing, but I think we're headed that direction to, to judging people's value by based on what they contribute to us 
uh, if you're just too old and feeble and not contributing something that we think you should be contributing, then eh, we don't really need you around anymore. Uh, or if you have a certain disability that you know, makes you less productive in our society, eh, you just kind of have less worth in our society. We're headed there, I think. But they were fully there in the first century. These guys are worthless. Not enough. Shh. Shush it. He's important. You're nothing. Be quiet. But they cried out all the more, Lord, Master, Son of David, Messiah, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped. Okay, keep in mind, I know we, we see this picture of Jesus over and over and over again, but just stop for a second and think about who Jesus was, right? He's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is the Lord of the universe. And he stops for these guys and called to them and said, what do you want me to do for you? What kind of language is that? Servant language, Right? How can I serve you? I'm the God of the universe. I'm the Messiah. What can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I get on my knees for you? Wow. And they said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened and moved with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. Man, what a God we serve. What a Lord we serve, right? Who willingly walked this earth on his knees for us and, and eventually lost his life to serve us. How insane is that? But that's the kind of love that we have. In our God, that's the kind of compassion that our Lord has for these men and for us. Pointing your hand out if you want to fill it in is Jesus demonstrated his greatness, his kingdom greatness, by serving two blind men. All right, I'm just going to read the, the bottom of the handout. It says, as Jesus was preparing to go to the cross, he wanted to leave his disciples with a path to greatness. Yet this greatness was not measured by power one wields, by the power one wields, the high position one attains, or the respect one commands, but by one's willingness to pour themselves out for the sake of others. May his standard of greatness become our standard, and may we become known for the ways in which we serve. What do we need to learn about Jesus in these verses, and how might you need to respond to him this morning? Pray for us. Lord, we want greatness. I want greatness. But we want kingdom greatness. We want to attain greatness in your kingdom, the way that you have, have laid it out for us, the way that you have demonstrated greatness to us, and that is by, by service, by willing enslavement to each other. Lord, help us to find practical ways to put this into reality. Help us to find practical ways to lay down our rights, our desires, the, the, the ways that we want others to serve us, to just, to just push those things away, to lay those things down, and to just look for every opportunity to lay our lives down for each other. Pray this all in your name.